0: Welcome to Win Win, a podcast from the Department of Sport and Exercise Science at the Washford Institute of Technology. I'm your host, Bruce Wardrop, and in each episode, I chat with someone who works behind the scenes in sport, helping athletes maximize their performance potential. If my guest is winning, hopefully their athletes are winning too. Today, I'm catching up with Tom Barry, Chief Operations Officer at Westside Barbell in Columbus, Ohio. Tom, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak for, with me today. It's a pleasure, but it's a pleasure to get caught back up to. It's been a minute. It has been a while. It has. We we, we might get to that in a little bit, but right now, it, it's it's very early over there. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's about half four, 20 to five in the morning. Is this shaping up to be a typical day for you? What what does a normal day for you look like over there?
1: Well, usually my days used to start about 4, 4.30, and I think anyone who's a, a string coach over here, their days start at the crack of dawn, but we just had a a little baby so um we're trying to adjust uh, the time so i can i start earlier so i can get home earlier so that's been the the biggest adjustment well,
0: congratulations uh, i actually was not uh, aware of that congratulations
1: yeah. but uh yeah it used to be 4 four thirty, but now 3 three thirty is when i'm in the office to get caught back up
0: so that's so your your day starts early so in 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 that your office is, is based in the gym and in, in Westside barbell yeah
1: so we have the the gym is separate to the business um we uh it's about my stone throw about maybe 500 feet away um because if this was in the gym there's just no way you get work done we get a lot of visitors coming in and out and then um our guys are not notorious for being quiet so there was just no way we could have it and we couldn't advertise the gym either because we have too many people going in and out and because it's a private facility and with everything going on we have to have everyone come through the business to sign their waivers and, and get up here but uh yeah, there's, it's within the same area, but it's separated.
0: Okay, that sounds like a, a, a pretty good reason to separate it. All right. I remember when my office used to be beside the weights room in 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 WIT. It was hard to concentrate sometimes. So when you you get in there in the morning, what 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 is it? You what, you, what will you start your day doing?
1: So it depends on the day. So their training days for uh, Louis' powerlifting crew is Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday morning at seven thirty. So before they come in. I go through the, uh, the day-to-day of the business, uh, check emails, obviously uh, get purchase orders set up, uh, do all my reporting, um, and then all the, the, the fun stuff that comes along with the business. And then I have uh, check-ins with coaches, um, especially now has been a big thing uh, with remote training with all coaches and athletes. Um, I've moved into more of a consulting role than hands-on because I don't want to travel as much. Um, so that takes up a couple of hours in the morning too, just checking in with them, making sure they have all their resources, answering any questions. And then when that gets done, then the, the guys are in for the gym, check in with Louie, make sure he's okay with everything, if he needs anything. And um, then our day-to-day starts. And then the athletes I work with come in Tuesday, Thursdays, sometimes Saturdays, afternoon or Sundays. And Because um, thankfully right now, we're allowed to keep small groups coming in. Um, and... Thank, with everything now I don't have to travel as much to athletes house which has been a, a a blessing um so yeah that's that's the the morning here
0: well that sounds like you've got a, a nice bit of variety in your day there between a bit bit of business a bit of time in the gym and then a bit of remote work with with other clients and people so that's uh, keep you on your toes
1: yeah it's it's the biggest benefit here is that every day is different and I've been a Westside barber you have no idea what's going to come through or who's going to come through the door. And um, our athletes are spread out. Like uh, I used to, when I first, my first few years here, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I was driving 11, 12 hours, like all around um, from here to Wisconsin, to Chicago, to uh, St. Louis, all over. So now that I don't have to travel, it's uh, it's freed up a huge amount of time.
0: Yeah, it's funny. We're working from home here as well. We we're only discussing that, saying I'm pro- I'm probably working longer hours than ever, but I'm also spending more time with my family than ever. So it's, you know, it's obviously not ideal, but it, it there's a, there's a good balance at the moment. I find a better trade off. So look, we've mentioned Westside. You, you've mentioned Louis there. Um, I know that West so Westside is well known to, to many people who are involved in strength and conditioning. But just to, to to kick us off, for anyone who might not have heard of of what Louis or Westside. Is it possible to give a brief introduction or an overview to what what, what, what that means?
1: Uh, I can do my best, but it's uh, if we talk with Louis, I think um, Louis is a strength coach, a strength coach. He is absolute, uh, like he is hands down one of the best coaches I've ever met because he sees more in athletes than they, they see in themselves. And from that, he pushes them to the very edge. And then that's where Westside Barbell comes in, which is basically his living laboratory. But it's a private gym, which is known as one of the strongest gyms in the world. Um, the results of absolute strength that come out there from a powerlifting aspect is phenomenal. They have broke over 150 world records. Um, from athletes, there's been uh, gold medal sprinters, MMA champions, uh, boxing champions. We've had from pro BMX riders to cricket um, athletes, you name it, we've had them through the door. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's basically... A facility that pushes the absolute limits to athletic boundaries and it allows us because it's private to experiment with different exercises and theories with the luxury of we can practice on ourselves and we can look like a fool and no one cares because we try to get the end result so it's, we can't do our athletes can't do anything we can't do so we got to go through it first so we go through the gauntlet and if it works it stays on and the ninety percent that doesn't work that we have tried like ridiculous things, it just goes to the wayside, but allows you the freedom to do that, which you don't have in a professional setting.
0: yeah, one of my students said to me the other day he asked a question, he goes, "God Bruce, you've got all the answers," and I just said, "No, I've made all the mistakes, yeah you know
1: Bruce, yep,
0: that's it um very good, so the um i, I like I, I think one of probably the, the common misconceptions about Westside is that it is just a powerlifting gym. But it's not. There, 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 it's, it's more than that.
1: It's, it's the true. And when I first came here, it's renowned for powerlifting because that was Louis Sport. And those are the guys that really, truly pushed the boundaries on how strong a human can be. And it's hard to get your head around it, um, how strong these people are. Because lifting weights like a thousand pounds or four hundred kilos, which well that's eight eighty, like it's hard to comprehend it until you actually get under it, like how much weight that is, and that's just passing grade here. So what they consider strong is off the charts. Um, But then people like they just we were pigeonholed into powerlifting because that was the morning crew, but no one knew about the other athletes that came through here, and that's what blew me away within the first two weeks here. We had, um, I had no idea what a NFL Super Bowl ring was, like not a clue. So our first two weeks, we had coaches that had all these rings. And I remember going up to one, I'm like, dude, they're, they're pretty flashy rings. And he just looked at me like, what, what's wrong with you? And, uh, there are two Super Bowl rings. I was like, oh, that's a pretty big deal. Like just a complete idiot. Had no idea what I was talking about. But um, you don't get them for the All-Irelands. I that's it like that's that's all I knew GA and rugby was like what I knew in fighting but um, then uh, we had track people come in and then we'd all these strength coaches come through and that's what I was like you don't get that anywhere else we had all different disciplines we had um, the uh, Melbourne Storm strength coach over uh, from rugby we had a bunch of NFL strength coaches we had track and field strength coaches we had people over from Bulgaria people over from Russia and this was my first month there, and it blew my mind to how actually big the world of Westside is. But when you look at it, you're like, oh, it's just powerlifting. You're like, no. And that, that was the first thing I was talking with Loom. Like, Lou, we have to show people that this is just more than powerlifting. And um, he, uh, like, Louie's big thing is he's not a strength coach, he's a special strengths coach because he understands the nuances and strength. And he's very big on that. Like, you need to know the particular type of strength for your sport. And all these coaches knew it. And they, like Louis was their biggest secret. They come here. I mean, you have coaches who get paid a lot of money, like taking handwritten notes like little kids, and they go back. And next thing, their season goes through the roof. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a, it's a lot more than powerlifting. And uh, even to this day, I think people are still perplexed by, well, what's this going to do with Westside Barbell? Well, there's a, there's a lot of people who've come through here.
0: Yeah. So I think so. Maybe the the lessons learned and the, and the the way that the methods Louis developed to develop strength initially in powerlifting, but then transferring that out into other sports. That's where those coaches saw the benefit of it, and that's where the spider web of 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 West Side started to grow.
1: Yeah, and the crazy thing is, most of uh, his information came from uh, Russian Olympic lifting. Um, to where, like, that's the the amount of books that. Uh, Louis had me read my first came here was like astonishing like some of the books but i remember i'm not sure if i sent that to your initial email but if i had took the reading lists we got from you guys when we were in college more seriously i would have saved myself a bunch of time here because there was books that overlap like the science of practice of strength conditioning like if i had read that book inside and out before like i would have saved myself at least half a year of study and you're like, oh, now I understand the difference between um, recommended reading and essential reading. If I, That recommended list, if I, had, if I had paid more attention to that, it would have been way easier.
0: Yeah, and I think that, that book hasn't changed in, in, in God knows how long. And I think that's part of the problem. It's not a
1: new flashy book, but no. what's in it is is solid gold. Well, that's the, really, if you look at today's methodologies coming out, no one's really pushing the boundaries like they used to. Like zazioorsky he's uh based in penn state I still i still still think he's there, and we've had some of the students come down and talk i get his project is uh he's obsessed with how the hand works that's his life is studying that but um no it's uh everything comes back around cyclical cycles but uh nothing's been reinvented but that book is still the gold standard um strength conditioning for us
0: yeah that that email that you met I was looking back over some emails and um i I have a habit of not deleting my emails so i have uh, have some from you back in two thousand and eleven so you're that was when you just headed over there you're coming up on your your ten year anniversary in this in west side and in the states yeah. so uh yeah it's been it's been a while as you said i i part of me gets the impression that in that ten years and even going back another 10 years before that and 10 years before that, that fundamentally Westside hasn't changed too much in what it is and, and how it operates. So what was it like for you walking into the gym that first time? Like
1: what, what, what were you expecting? What did you and What was it like? Um, Well, I'm not normally a shy or nervous person. I think that was pretty evident when I was in college, but when I first came here, I hopped off the plane Um, Well, I sent an email to uh, Westside Barbell out of the blue because I was talking with you and talking with Richie. And, well, if you really want to learn about maximal strength, this is the place to go. So I just threw a Hail Mary email out. I was going to go to New Zealand because I just got my visa there and tried to learn from some of the uh, rugby teams. And then Louie's wife responded back, like, well, hey, you can come here for two weeks. And I'm like, well, geez, can't turn this down. So uh, I asked them uh, for accommodation. And Louie's from the west side of Columbus. So his, uh, accommodation recommendations, I should have looked into more was not the best. So I got off the plane. It was a Sunday. I remember I got a taxi and, um, I'm like, "I, I have no idea. I'm in this part of Columbus where like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even dream of going. I'm like, okay. Um, and then the accommodation wasn't set up. So my credit cards were, everything wasn't working. So I'm like, I've got no place to stay. So eventually got all that fixed up um the gym was about a mile away and i had no car no nothing so i went to walmart bought a cheap bicycle and i remember cycling up so cycling to the gym that morning it took forever to get there of course outside the door is louis simmons and a, an athlete and as soon as i saw louis simmons I was like, oh, that's louis simmons and then my gear bag fell down crashed a bike into a bush and i'm like oh this is a great first impression and then louis was like, he must be the guy from ireland i'm like yep that's me and, um, so he's there with, uh, some, uh, there's an NFL athlete, junker And, uh, he just shook my hand and goes, welcome to hell, bitch. And I'm like, Oh, that's a pleasant start. Uh, I walked in and then there was two sides to the gym. I didn't know. And as soon as I walked in the door, there was, um, a lady called Bianca Stone. She was training in a powerlift and she was like squatting reps with 200 kilos. And I'm like, okay. And, um, there's, there was two guys in the belt squat machine and there was one dude about 132 pounds. And he was so happy. He was smiling. I'm like, this doesn't compute. And he was another intern. And his name was Jordan Syed who has gone, gone on to huge success since. And then uh, all I could hear was a thud and a thud. I'm like, what the hell is that? And I walk around the corner and there, there were, there were these monsters. There was like a AJ Roberts, Brandon Lilly, totally Balagoni, all these dudes they were at deadlift and speed deadlifts and um they had to have so it was about six so it's about 300 kilos against double over mini bands for speed deadlifts and i've never seen weight go that fast and then lose like i hey. so i came from a kickboxing background so he's like hey so this is what you're going to do you're going to do uh so it's going to be two so it'll be 200 kilos against um double uh, over mini bands. You're going to do five reps every 30 seconds for five minutes. So I'm like, I got it. No problem. Never used bands in my life. Went up, grabbed the bar, uh, couldn't get it past my knees, and then Lou's like, well, you're not as strong as you look. And then I got demoted over to the other side of the gym, and then it took me a year to cross that boundary to get over to where those guys were. That was my
0: That is really, really interesting because I often wonder, um, so how much... You, you said at the start in the intro there that you guys test things on yourselves, but how much do your numbers and your your lifts matter in the gym if you work there?
1: So, the working here, I was the first person to cross over the gym to business line. And not many people have done that because it's like church and state, we try to keep it separated. Um, it's more that you push yourself and that you know the theory. And that you're a good coach. That's the biggest thing with the business side. Um, I am not here for my ungodly strength. Like that's the, that was quite evident from the from day one because passing standard here compared to the real world is like completely different. Um, but thankfully, I could help Louis a whole lot with his business. That was a uh, and his education side. That's that was the biggest uh, uh, mainstay. And plus, Louis loves fighting, and we would watch fights together. And he would analyze. Like he is probably one of the best analysts i've ever seen when it comes to boxing or mma it is absolutely amazing how good he is at breaking down any sport but boxing in particular it's phenomenal and then we would trade back and forth and i like to run my mouth and he runs his mouth so we kind of just hit it off real well but that's how i got to stay here it wasn't because of a uh, strength but anyone who works here like we're just we're lucky all our staff they're all highly accomplished coaches or athletes. Now we've got two, one's a world record holder or two at one time, a world record holders, one still currently in powerlifting, but it's not a huge aspect. They have to be very good at um, talking to people and being able to communicate what our system of training is more so than their strength level.
0: Okay, good. I it that's, that's really interesting. I was wondering, pre- I presume there's a, yeah, you have to, you have to, it's more about the efforts, more about your commitments to us. Um, but not, necess- not necessarily the number. So I remember you. Tom. So trying to think, again. I'm thinking back here. I, I remember you. You say you you were you weren't a shy guy, but I do definitely remember you being very polite and very proper all the time. Uh, getting stuck into that kind of uh, that uh, West Side doesn't come across as a very polite and proper uh, atmosphere over there. So. You said you felt right at home straight away was there did you did it, did it feel like home how did you when did you know that this is the place for me
1: um, i think after 6 months when i first got here um, the biggest mis- or misunderstanding of louis louis is the nicest guy in the world like he is like what you see when you're an athlete is a different story but in like real like in just day to day life he is a tremendous person probably one of the most generous people I've ever met and he was willing to give me so much knowledge. Didn't know me from en- anyone, and he would talk to me as if like I was like the best athlete in the world. And he broke everything down and gave me like brought me to breakfast, dinner, lunch, and um, would explain. They talk strength conditioning day in, day out, and I'm like, this is pretty cool. Now it took me a year to get accepted in the gym. That's a whole different story. But the outside of there, um, yeah, that's when I'm like the. I think really the, the moment I knew that this was the place for me was, uh, when I started working with, uh, Matt Brown, who's a UFC athlete. And, um, the two of us hit it off. And then I realized at that time how behind strength conditioning was for them. And I learned so much from him. And you put that together with the success we started having with the business and getting Louie's name out there. I'm like, okay, this, there's something special here. And, um, there was, uh, Initially there was a lot of opportunity at the start, but there was so much freedom that um I was lucky that I was so obsessed with here because Louie doesn't force you to do anything, but I wanted to be here. Like I used to work, geez, eighty to a hundred hours was a normal week. And I would I was just absolutely obsessed. I couldn't read enough books, I couldn't talk to enough people, and I always made it a point to be the dumbest person in the room. So I'd ask questions and ask questions and ask questions to where like I would drive some people nuts. I didn't mean to, but like they just assume, but it's amazing how many people uh, agree what people are saying, but don't know what they're talking about. And um, so from that, I started learning a whole lot and I had a lot to catch up on because theoretically I was pretty sound, but practically I wasn't. And the practical element for coaching, I think is a huge part. That's why I think there's a fundamental flaw with uh, how strength conditioning is taught because the theory gets you so far but in a practical setting doesn't always work out actually mostly it doesn't work out at all because the guidelines you're given from a curriculum base to what an actual athlete can do can be so polar opposites that you have to be able to think on the fly and be a very good people person so i'm like okay i gotta catch up with this so i was obsessed with uh just trying to become as best a coach as i could and um from there, that's when like Louis saw the work ethic and was like, "Hey, you can hang on and like help me with the business." And I kind of just grew from there. I kind of I waffled on and a brain fart there, so I don't know where I was. No, no, you're that, that that was. I was really enjoying your
0: answer there. There's a couple of things. So I have another question that I'd written down for you for, for you here, and I, got, I was kind of taking it from from two angles. Uh, one was like, what was it? What do you think that Louis saw in you? That you know made him give you the opportunity, or the the flip side of that that was what did you offer Louis that earned you your place in 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 West Side. So I think he maybe he saw a bit of a, a kindred spirit in you there that you were you uh, your your enthusiasm, was, your enthusiasm and your eagerness to learn, and 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 uh, he's he's a, he's a constant student of the game to yeah. turn phrase.
1: Well, I was lucky in that when I came here, I had uh, like. There was nothing, I had no parameters. I came here out of nowhere, didn't expect anything. And uh, before I got there, I was one of those students who graduated and hung around Waterford. Like that's what I did. And uh, But I started teaching down at uh, Waterford College for Education night classes in exercise and health. And then from that, that taught me how to build a basic curriculum. And I had that knowledge fresh in my mind. And then Louis had his certificate and um, he had no curriculum base. It's all based in his head. And Louis's head, the way he writes and comes across what's on page one should be on page 50. What's on page 50 could be on page 10. It's just whatever is in there just comes out and then it's up to you to organize it. So I helped him with that. And then he knew I didn't have to put all these hours in, but I was just obsessed. I had nothing else to do. didn't go out. Like for the first four months, it was the gym and back to bed. That was it. I didn't go out, didn't do anything. And then I think that dedication, he was like, oh, this guy like is trustworthy. He's doing all this work. I didn't ask for anything. Um, I just thought this is a good payment for the knowledge he was giving me. And then from there, he um, he was like, oh, okay, uh, you can stay on if you want. I'm like, okay, I'll stay on a little bit longer, a little bit longer. Um, and then month six was when he was like, hey, you want to, like stay on and work for the business and then eventually from there I I started creating more opportunities than were there because there was a lot like we had no social media presence um we like it was very archaic in terms of you come here you learn that's all you have and he put out articles and um that was it so I'm like okay we we could we start building up the education base to where I really think like 2021 2022 like up coming is when you're going to see all the 10 years of work starting to come out, like everything is getting more and more refined. The process is there for education. But um, I think it was the work ethic that uh, that really got me to stay here and then my ability to talk to people. Like that's the one big thing that I can talk to anyone about anything. And that really helped me here in terms of along with strength and conditioning.
0: Yeah, I guess as well, I suppose your, your eagerness to ask questions when you're going coming from... One a big shift in culture from from Waterford, Kilkenny in Ireland, so all the way over to Columbus, Ohio. There's a big, you know, it's similar, but it's not the same. Yeah. Um, but then that so your ability to query, to question, to, to get on well with people is going to going to get you settled in uh, much more quickly. And I liked what you said there as well about. Um, you know, you put in all these hours and you didn't ask for anything. It's it's one piece of advice that I often give to to my students or to our students is to, you know, if you get a placement opportunity, if it's, if it's a day, if it's a weekend, whatever it is, treat it like it's your dream job and that you're getting paid a fortune. Go in, do your best, try really hard, and people will recognize that effort that you're putting in. And hopefully down the line, you'll get rewarded for it, which... Which was how it panned out for you the other thing you meant yeah, like I said there's a few things there that I want to to, to catch on and, and and dig a little bit deeper into so sometimes um you know you hear people you oh, know, i've got a I've got a plan I know exactly where I want to be in five years time I want to know where I want to be in ten years time and I know I certainly you know I have a vague idea where I'm going sometimes uh and and we end up getting there but how how much of your progress over there has been Taking opportunities that presented to you were presented to you versus creating opportunities or, or uh, taking on gaps that you saw were there. You mentioned that there, the you know, the social media, the education program, the business side of it. That's where you you saw your you, you could bring some real added value.
1: Yeah, uh, when I first got here, there was a certain opportunity. The educate his exam process that was a big opportunity for me, and then after that. Um, my overall goal was to be a professional strength coach for uh, NFL team. That's what I wanted to work with. And because uh, to me, that was the gold standard. But the one thing I've always tried to make it in life that nothing's ever set in stone and you have to be adaptable. You have to be able, to, you have no idea where you're going to end up. But if you take it on the chin and keep moving forward, it's like a, it gets you through a lot of things. But been at Westside, I started meeting all these professional strength coaches. And then that's where my mindset of like, oh, I don't really want to be in a professional setting because they're so handcuffed into how they can train athletes. And it all stems down from the head coach. So the head coach might not be the most um, knowledgeable person on strength conditioning, but he controls the team. And the vast majority of strength coaches that come here uh, would say, look, I know what I want to do, but what I can do, I'm not allowed. And they were only able to train athletes the way they wanted to train them when it was off season. Uh, it was off season or if they were injured. And I'm like, well, that makes no sense to me. And then I saw the hoops and the red tape they have to go through to do certain exercises. And then if you got an athlete injured, you lose your job. So I'm like, it, there was no fun in being a professional strength coach. And then with the background and the way I question everything, I wouldn't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, It just wouldn't because really if you're going to be a strength conditioning coach, you're there for the team, the organization, and my goal as a coach is to be there for the athlete. So I would be doing everything on the athlete's behalf, and that wouldn't go very well in a corporate setting. So then that's when my mind changed. Like, okay, been a, a strength coach for a full-time organization, not going to work. So then I focus on the private sector through here, and then that's when I'm like, okay, you can do a lot more here. And then from there, and the athletes that – came through here so it's kind of my work is split in two at the time one was for athletes and then one was for the business and then at one stage i had pga golfers nfl athletes mma athletes uh, baseball uh ice hockey and i'm like you just don't get this variety if you're locked into one so then i'm like this is the this is the way forward um and like i'd never ever one thing too we use social media but as a coach i didn't like it so i made it a point to where I wouldn't put anything on social media. I wouldn't show I'm working with this person, work with that person. Cause that's what they get. A lot of these guys are pretty famous over here and every day there's a camera in their face. So they like the opportunity to come to a gym, not have to worry about photographs or videos to where they can actually be free and to train the way they want to train. And um, I was like, okay, this is, this is where it's at for me. And then the business, I saw gaps where like, Lou, let's start to get your information out there, but in bite-sized chunks, let's promote it. Let's show there's more diversity to what you do. And then the business just started growing. And then I got to look behind the curtain too of how machines are made. So everything we use in the gym, I got to see it from a fundamental level, like how you create a, uh, a machine, how you patent it, how you trademark it, how it's made, how it gets made on mass scale. Uh, how customers receive it, how athletes receive it, how it's tested, which is pretty unique because then you actually learn way more about the equipment you're using. And uh, like, just say a lap pull down, something as simple as that, when you know it from the fundamental levels, like the, t- the teaching points you have is just phenomenal. And the same from uh, all our machines. So, yeah, it's just so I'm like, okay, how can I take that and how can we put it into a coaching aspect? And yeah, it's, I mean, there's been a, I mean, it's a wild ride so far, but it's so diverse. Um, but there's a, I think it started with opportunity and then I started creating as much opportunity and try to make myself as valuable as possible every year that went by.
0: That's an excellent answer. Really, really good. Um, so I, you, you, remind me again of your, your thesis has, uh, I've turned it into the stuff yeah. of legend around here uh you 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 still get mentioned to this day it's a fable that i use to warn other students who uh who come to me and say that they want to do a, a six or an eight week supervised strength and conditioning program in the gym i said i remember this guy tom barry he's in the states now but he had to live uh, live in the gym for six or eight weeks to yeah. uh to to supervise his his participants for his thesis but that obviously stood to you. It, it did. It, you took that. And it, that was either in you or you learned it and and, you, and it stood to you when you went over to the States there.
1: It, I remember the um, the staff at WIT were like, it was 11, 11.30 I get out of the gym. Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. were like, why are you here this late? And uh, I can remember as Albert, he used to work at the fitness center. He yeah. was just baffled. Like he had all these, because people would come in after training. But I never thought anything of it until afterwards, until all it was done, because your thesis is just, you go through your first three years, then fourth year, here's your thesis. And you're like, oh man, this is like serious. And um, then I was obsessed with what the topic was. Uh, but it did teach you a whole lot. I, I think like the fourth year taught me a whole lot of how important this stuff is. But yeah, that was, uh, late hours was not, a, was not an issue. It's a funny um,
0: one. I keep saying, because I, you know, I say to the students, I say like, you know, it's, it's, if, you, if that's what you want to do, maybe a six week program, that's fine. But you're going to be looking at some of your, your, your friends and colleagues and not to discredit anything else, but like, they're going to be handing out some questionnaires and getting people to fill in questionnaires, and that's their data collected. Or you know, they have a little pre and post test that are, that's done over one or two days. And you are going to be living in the gym, supervising sessions for week, like every day for hours a day on top of your current workload for six weeks. And then when you've done, if you do that, you've got very little time left, and you know you're you're squeezing the other the time at the other end to write it up. But I think the lesson here is that if you're passionate about it,
1: go yeah. for it. yeah, and that's I mean. Having high work ethic really is a great equalizer for people who've got a lot of natural, just say, talent or who are naturally very smart. Like, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I'm willing to outwork anyone if it helps me get in the same level of our playing field. Um, but I think that was, a, yeah, but that thesis. And I remember every day you're chasing after people. And um, I can't remember, was it you? Was someone told like, Tom, are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, yeah. And then halfway through, like, okay, now I get it. But I'm already in it. I might as well keep on going. Too late but to back out now. Yeah, it was just just not happening. But uh, it did it did help me a lot, like coming over here uh, with all the kettlebell aspect. I had a a way better understanding. And the crazy thing is I got to meet Jeff Martone. Cool. And I talked to Jeff Martone about my thesis. And we sat down for a couple of hours. We're cracking up. He's the like, most down-to-earth guy ever. And um, I told him what I did. And... That was the conversation point. If I didn't have that conversation point, I don't think we would have hit it off as good. So you never know where it goes to stand stand for you. But I told him how uh, I was watching that uh, CrossFit video when he lifted up his wife, did a Turkish get up with his wife, and I'm like, "Dude, this is insane!" And then from there on, yeah. So you never know where it's going to stand for you. Yeah, paid off in multiple ways. Yeah.
0: Uh, you also mentioned there a, a little while back about, the, about coaching um, and about, about the communication aspect of coaching that you, you know, you can learn from books, you learn your theory, but then it's the communication with the athletes that's, that can really set you aside or what you need to refine or hone. So how, can, let, let, can we dig into that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So where do you think, where, let's, where do you think that people go wrong maybe when they're, when they're early in their career?
1: Well, I think when you're early in your career, you have a high ego. I think you think you know everything because I know I thought I did. And then um, I was lucky in that my first demographic was professional fighters, and they will knock the ego out of you one way or another. And um, again, Matt Brown was the one. He was like, um, I never knew that my coaching style was very, um, I don't know, what's the way? It was very direct and authoritative. And he likes you realize like, I'm a professional athlete. like I'm going to do everything that you're going to tell me to do You don't have to talk down to me. I didn't didn't realize I was talking down. But if I don't do the work, it's affecting my career and affecting my family. I'm like, that's a very good point. So if they don't do the work, it's going to affect them. So then that really, and then Louis was like, you learn way more from athletes than they learn from you. And then I started thinking about that. I'm like, oh, so that means you ask questions to them, how they're feeling, how's everything. And um, that kind of changed my style to where, In my opinion, strength conditioning is not rocket science. It can be made out to be as complicated as possible, but we're just a cog in a machine for professional athletes. It's an important one, but it's not the most important. It's it's important in the synergy of all other um, aspects. But when you start realizing that and you try to keep everything as simple as possible because you have athletes for a certain space of time, and the more you talk with them, the more you get to know the person, the more feedback you get and the more feedback you get in that, in that feedback loop, the more accurate you can make the training. So I'm like, okay, well, what's the biggest difference between coaches? Well, personality is one big one. And then if you're an athlete first, then I think you're going to go a long way. Uh, if you're not driven by social media, like, look at me, look at what I'm doing now. Uh, it's different to me. If you're an influencer, cause this is the world we're in. Like you can make money then going down that way. All respect to you. But if you're a strength coach or athlete first, so I would steer away from social media and then everyone I work with seemed to like that more than the people. So I'd retain a lot more athletes and a lot more people who come to Westside because we were behind the scenes really. Um, so from a coaching aspect, once you have your fundamentals and there's a lot of ways to train up, an athlete i think our way is the most optimal because every week we know how strong how fast you are where your weaknesses are what they have to improve on and then in a seven-day cycle we can adjust rather than a linear progression to where you got certain blocks certain times of the year to work on which doesn't really work for athletes because they're always working out so there's always something new happening so that feedback loop is way more efficient than having one that's based on a six-month or 12-month cycle So we've all this objective data coming in. You have your personality and then boom, to me, it's a match made in heaven when you're training an athlete. Um, and then you train the athlete by the personality, you have an extroverted athlete, they're going to be, want you to be a lot more verbal. If you have an introverted athlete, they want very precise and concise instruction and no big, over the top, no motivation. They want to get in and get out and you start learning. This is stuff that's hard to teach. So you have to be amongst these people. And um, then from that, I'm like, okay, then you have the technology aspect. So to me, technology and strength conditioning should be used as an objective measure. It's important, but it's to test whether you're doing is right or wrong. And like, and I made a huge mistake when I first started out here, Um, I was using a Tendo unit. I swore by it for speed. And I was uh, training an NFL athlete and um, I was comparing his data to norms. And I'm like, it says here that like, I mean, dude, you should be way faster. And it got in his head, like, God damn, I'm slow. But while we were training, I never thought to talk to the other coach and see how he's doing in the training sessions. And he was killing it. He was faster than everyone, but the tendo unit said he wasn't fast and it screwed him up so much mentally that he actually got slower for a few weeks until I'm like, dude, I'm completely wrong. And I, I, I admitted my, where I was wrong. And we separated and he went on and he's still crushed in the NFL. But I'm like, that's where I realized how important technology is, but how it can screw you up as a coach to where it should be an objective measure and pre and post, and it shouldn't be what you're using all the time for feedback. Um, And then I also realized that if you're not talking to other coaches and not getting the feedback from their sport, it's pointless because you can build up an athlete in the gym, but they're an athlete. If not getting better in their sport, then, um, what's the point in what you're doing? You've got no idea what you're doing is right or wrong. So, then that's where communication comes back in. And then, uh, and like everything has similarities. So, from manufacturing, I started understanding uh, about RCAs, like root cause analysis. When something goes wrong, you identify it and you go back around in this loop to where you identify a problem, you put out solutions to fix it. Well, I mean, it's very much like what strength and conditioning is. So you have an issue, you try to fix it, and you always have a feedback loop to where you got data coming in. Well, the coaching staff, if you're working with fighters or NFL athletes, you have to talk with the staff to see if what you're doing is right. Because a lot of strength coaches, I think, try making big, strong, and powerful as possible, which is great. But if it's not converting to the sport, doesn't matter. So it comes back down to talking to the coaches. And I think that's what Louis is the mastermind of. He will... Like He's such a good motivator to athletes, but from um teaching coaches' perspective, it's like ask questions, talk to people. If you're training a football player, are they getting better at football or are they getting better in the gym? So I would chase maybe a, a five-pound PR, but that might equate to maybe a 10% increase in the pitch rather than going for a 50-pound PR and going nowhere on that. So I think roughly that's where... My coaching is, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, you've done done an excellent job of summing it up there. It's a that's a really comprehensive answer, and and yeah, communication is key. Going out in so many different directions there, as you uh, as you, as you mentioned, I liked what you said about the the, the communication between you as the coach and the athletes, is is probably most important. And I think uh, we try I try to get the students to understand that you that's a fluid situation. You you don't have to have your fixed coach's personality and you should and, and could uh need to adapt your personality based on the day or based on the on the on the the, the athlete that you're working with so i think you know like you said you might have started off and you might have been a preacher or a, a bit of a yeah. director with your with your uh with your coat with your athletes um and he was probably a very willing and able athlete who didn't need to be preached at he just needed maybe a more of a collaborative or counselor like approach where there's a bit more to and fro in, in, in what they were doing. So yeah, I think that's, that's some really key information to this for, for, for anyone starting out there is to, you know, think about how you're delivering the message. Think about how the message has been received and realize that that's fluids that can change on both sides to, to, to optimize uh, how you're communicating.
1: Um, And to, in addition to that is your own life experiences. If you actually tap into that, and, um, you have, a, I can't remember the gentleman you had on your podcast. He's over in Australia, Shane
0: um, from, from, uh, he, um, he
1: yeah, he said a good point and I agree with it as reflection. Once you have self-reflection, that's a huge, huge point. But, um, your life experiences, if you tap into that and you're aware of how you feel and you go through it when you're training an athlete, it helps a whole lot. Like I remember when we were in college, when it came to exams. Like that's a highly stressful time. And if you're working with college students, college athletes, and like college sports here is absolutely insane. Like absolutely insane to how serious like college football and college wrestling is. Um, you gotta I remember when I uh, we were out, we we're going to an OSU game and I've never been to a football game here. And like to me I just think of Croak Park, or okay, this is this big And then they're like, well, our stadium fits like 110,000 people. I'm like, okay, yeah. And you get in there and it's full for a college football game. Like my mind was blown. And then I saw the facilities. Like this is a college facility would rival anywhere in the world. And then I realized how much stress is on these athletes. And then we have the NCAA, which is a regulatory body to where you can work with some and you can't work with others. So we had, uh, Uh, athletes who came to us as high school athletes and then went to college so we could work with them but you can't work with athletes who are in college uh, because it's a whole complicated fiasco here but um, when we had athletes go play for these teams you start realizing more and more um, when there's exam times you have to change how you coach because the central nervous system doesn't differ from stresses it just knows stress. So you can have physical stress and mental stress, and then that would take away from their um, training. So then you'd realize that mentally they could get into a rut because they're stressed out about exams. So why the hell would I push max effort work or have them do a max effort exercise that they're not going to get a PR in and then further add negative stress onto them. And up until like the last few months, like I've had a bunch of athletes who had kids I've never experienced having a kid until now. And then I realized, oh, Tom, like you were an asshole. Like there's, there's stuff that you have to take into account to where like the lack of sleep and then everything going on. But now I use that to where I can adjust and I can relate more to the athletes throughout that. And I think uh, that's one thing we turn off is how our own life experiences can actually make you a way better coach than you think. And reading way outside of strength like strength conditioning I keep going back to it is not as hard as people think. You can make it as hard as you want, but you want to keep it a the kiss principle, keep it simple stupid. so if you have that approach, um I think you' make your life way way easier.
0: Brilliant. I, on the students there, I, I, I put out some questions to our students um, and one of them, they, a lot of them were interested in how you got your internship. And I know you, meant, you, you mentioned this, but I just want to, to, to talk about it perhaps. You said you, you, you just fired off an email. You,
1: you asked. Yes. Yeah, I did. And um, when I got there, there was two other interns. And out of the three of us, two of us took it super serious because I said there's no structure. So when you're in an internship and you're a young guy in America, you're like, I can go absolutely crazy here and say that an internship, but we actually lived the internship. We created the questions and that's how we got a lot out of it. And then I'm like, well, that's a really good way to approach, to do an internship is that having a lack of structure forces you to create some structure rather than following this linear progression of how you should study. And then we kept that up for a while. So we got more interns in. After I got settled in, we brought in more interns. And then you just, you can see the change in, uh, I won't say society, but everything. You can see the changes in interns coming in from different years. And the lack of structure was, a lot of them couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle like, hey, uh, what am I supposed to do? I'm like, ask questions. And then the questions they would ask were not that good. And then we'd watch how their gym etiquette was. That's a big thing. So intern would come in. And if you have a bit of common sense, if you see someone like, Hey, you want a spot, you want to do this If you come in with your hands in your pockets you're like, dude, what, if, what do you do? Like, it's just, there's certain things you don't do. And then that's how we started weeding out interns. Uh, cause we get a lot of requests and interns can be a lot of work or they can be like little to no work depending on how they want to integrate with everything. And here, because the athletes we have, um, like, you better be either on top of your game or willing to learn or willing to do anything. And, like, sadly, we haven't had interns in the last two years because the last few ones we got were just so, I don't know, put it – they wanted to be famous so much. Because strength, if you had told me we got out of college that strength and conditioning coaches would be popular or you would have influencers, I'm like, you're nuts. Absolutely nuts. But now they're like, well, I'm going to be this strength coach for this person. I I don't think you understand how this works. And um, so we just cut them off because they're taking so much pictures. They weren't asking any questions. And um, we don't pay interns, but we give them all the books. We put them through our exam process. And after five interns failed the exam process because we didn't have the structure to where you have to study, you have to ask the questions rather than, hey, do this, do this, do this. We realized that... um, uh, kind of common sense and just uh, general question asking just went down they'd rather say that you we were here than not here uh, but that's a big thing that I will tell a lot of people who want to do internships is don't think about money and really think about the occupation you want to go into try get it in there train people for free get as much information as you can because it all it does is it's like a comedian really you go to all these different clubs, and you try refine, 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 but the more athletes you can work with and as spread out as it can be hugely benefits you. But now interns are, well, they want to get paid over here. If you want to get a good intern, if you want to get paid. I'm like, dude, yeah, that's not how this works. Um, it you sounds
0: go. like you, you have, a, it, it's very much or when, when you were taking interns or when you have them, it's very much a, a sink or swim scenario for them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. and uh, a, lot, a lot of them couldn't comprehend that. But like, I think the best thing you can do is just start asking somewhat knowledgeable questions off the bat. Like, not like, like just, like we've had, like we've had some interns that you you would not believe the stuff that came out of their mouth and what they did in the gym. It's just some, We we had interns who couldn't comprehend how to use a sled. And you're like, okay. And these interns went on to, be uh, college strength coaches. And then you can see the injury rates go up. And now it's very like, that's, that I won't say it's a cool thing, but you can see why. So you see when they came here, what they learned, what they didn't learn, what they asked and they didn't ask. Then they go and they go do an internship in a collegiate setting. And then you realize, cause that's a one to two year internship, maybe even longer. And then you realize that they have their, Uh, ideas when they get in there then whoever the internship with for a long period of time kind of uh, creates their perception and then they become a head coach and they wonder why their injury rates are so high but you can see from the and it's amazing how it stays true the people who don't adapt you know how they're going to end up
0: yeah you, you actually I was thinking earlier on when you were talking about the 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 different strength and conditioning coaches coming in. I was just picturing in my head that you're what you're trying to do there is kind of run a run a pyramid scheme for for strength and conditioning coaches you're trying to influence load of west side strength and conditioning coaches get them out there into internships and wait until they filter up to being the head coaches and that's when the real success will come
1: when all those head coaches are west side influenced you'd be so surprised how many people have in, like, I was blown away. Like, a lot of people came out of here, um, like Elite FTS, Dave have came out of here, Mark Bell came out of here in the private sector. I would, we've had every NFL team strength coach come through here. Like, bands or chains didn't, came from Westside. So, like, uh, Dick Hartzell is the guy who introduced bands to, I guess, the industry. And he was just, I'm not sure if you ever watched his videos, like, that guy is a hoot. He would jump off tables, landing on his ankles, showing you the benefits of how bands strengthen his ankles and bands were everything. Then Louis and Dave Tay went to a seminar. They're like, oh, we're going to put these on barbells. And Louis, like Westside was the first people to do that. Westside was the first people to add chains. Westside was the first people to um, bring in boards. So you can see it, it influenced whether people know it or not. Everything started here. Like sled dragging really came was here before it was popular anywhere else. And that came from uh, Finnish lumberjacks pulling out uh they're trying to get wood out of a forest and they would hug ha- change to it and drag it out but then the finished powerlifting team's results went through the roof and they realized oh that's from them doing gpp with a sled and then that's how it converted in so there's a lot more influences to people I think up from louis, Westside.
0: louis invented the reverse hyper
1: didn't he he invented the reverse hyper um which was basically a screw you to a surgeon because he broke his back twice i mean the guy has been it was broke everything, but that's how we have the system we have today. Um, yeah, so that helped him rehab his back, come back to where you never squat again. To where he squatted was a nine, what nine fifty at fifty two years old uh, from two broken backs. Um, and then that's he invented that, uh, he invented a hamstring like inverse curl. He he was the first person to create a belt squat, um, plyo swing. What else did he invented? Um, the uh, MR-19, he's, he's got three more machines coming out, a static dynamic developer, which uses, um, it's basically, uh, an isometric hold and then you release it and you go into a d- dynamic strength, um, phase. Yeah. He's invented a bunch of machines. And it's,
0: am I right in saying a Rogue Fitness, are they based in Ohio in Columbus as well?
1: They, they are, they, um, Rogue is an amazing story. It is, but what I'm just, the cog that's turning
0: in my head here is, is there, um, is, it must be, is it, it Columbus in industrial town? Is there much of a manufacturing tradition over there?
1: Yeah. Uh, Columbus, Ohio generally is like a pretty, I think it's the one, the number one transportation hubs in America. And, um, there's a lot of steel workers in around like a three or four hour area around here. So there is a, there's a good bit of industry, but, um. Rogue kind of went with that and made it what it is today. But when I first came here, uh, Rogue was a 1,500 square feet. And they started working with Lou, doing his reverse hyper. And then they started selling, because uh, he's got power racks from the 1980s. They're still in the gym. And the one-inch hole spacing in the power rack, that came from Westside. So because the two inches was too much, they wanted more variation. And then Rogue started making it. And now they are basically the... Henry Ford of exercise equipment.
0: Yeah. So for anyone who does not, not aware, Rogue are an equipment manufacturer. And in the last, well, what it seems like maybe the last 10 years, they have just exploded uh, in popularity. They're, 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 they seem to be everywhere. Um, listen, we've, we've been talking for a long time here. I think to, I'm going to have to come back to you and do a second episode at some stage. Yeah. Continue this going. Um, it's, it's been really, really interesting talking to you and I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it feels appropriate that it's coming up on your 10 year anniversary over there, that things are going so well for you. So uh, maybe I will, I would like to check in with you again at, uh, for a future episode and see how things continue to go for you.
1: Yeah. I'd, I'd love to, and hopefully didn't waffle on too
0: much. No, definitely not. Definitely not. All quality, all filler, no killer, or not all filler, all killer, no filler. <laughs> get that one right okay listen Tom thank you very much for talking to me today it is what is it now is it half six in the morning over there yeah half five half half five god fair play to you right I will let you start your day now after after that so thank you once again Tom it's been a pleasure thank you sir I really enjoyed that chat with Tom he was a student that I remember for all the right reasons, and I'm so pleased and proud that he has gone on to make such a successful career for himself over in the States. He genuinely is a guest I will return to again. Here are my three take-home points. Number one, just ask. Ahead of this interview, students wanted to know, how did Tom get his internship? The simple answer was that he just asked. He fired off an email and chanced his arm. You should do the same. What's the worst that could happen? If the answer is no, then you're no worse off. If it's a yes, then you have your opportunity. Tom's take on this was, be the dumbest person in the room. Take the opportunity to ask questions and learn from those around you. Number two, work hard. Tom demonstrated great humility when he decided that the opportunity to learn from his time at Westside Barbell was sufficient payment for his initial efforts. He worked hard and in turn, this was acknowledged by Louis, which turned an internship into a career. If you get an opportunity, play the long game. Work hard to impress rather than to receive. Finally, we have communication. It's a soft skill that needs practice, so get practicing. As a coach, your identity can be fluid, so that you can adjust to the person that you are working with. While being direct and authoritative might work wonders with one athlete, another athlete might might not respond well to it. Get to know your clients, be personable with them, and reflect on your communication style so that you can adapt and improve. Okay, that's it for today. If you've made it this far, you might do one more thing for me and share the episode. It would be great to spread the word and build our audience. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, then you can catch me on Instagram at B underscore Wardrop. I welcome any feedback or suggestions you, yes you, might have for the show. Okay, thanks for listening. I'll catch you in the next episode.